0: Awesome. All right, guys, take your Bibles, Ephesians chapter number five, Ephesians in chapter number five. And uh, men, thank you for being here as part of uh, this uh, marriage retreat and conference. And I know that um, there's investment and and, uh, time off work and uh, planning and preparation that goes into all of that. So thank you for doing it. And uh, it's a joy to be here with you and uh, looking forward to our day together today. I know that men do not really need a session. You know, we could just kind of do whatever, you know, but the ladies need one, so we got to do something while they're doing it, right? And, uh, no, I enjoy uh, the men's sessions and uh, uh, pray that uh, it'll be an encouragement to you and a challenge to you as we talk about uh, marriage and just from the perspective of being a a Christ-like husband Uh, is certainly our goal. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit here, loving like Christ. A lady stopped by unannounced to her recently married son's home. She rang the doorbell and uh, waited someone to answer. Nobody answered. And uh, as kind of only a mother-in-law can, she reached for the door handle and it was unlocked, so she let herself in. And she uh, went into the house and noticed some things were different. It was very uh, dark in there. There were some candles lit. There were some romantic music playing and she kind of stumbled her way through the house and turned the corner around to the uh, living room and there was her new daughter-in-law and she was uh, laying there on the couch naked and the mother-in-law looked at her daughter-in-law and said what what are you doing and she said well um, here in my love dress your son loves it when I wear my love dress and the mother-in-law just kind of took off it was kind of awkward and left you know and she got in the car and she was driving home and then she had a thought And she got home and she turned the lights (laughs) off and she lit the candles and got the music playing and got the rose petals on the ground and got her love dress on and awaited her husband to come home. Her husband got home and got to the front door after a long day of work and he opened the door and no lights on and candles lit and music playing and... And uh, rose petals on the ground. He thought, am I at the right place? What's going on here? And he kind of stumbled through the house and in the living room, and there was his wife on their couch in her love dress. And he's like, honey, what are you doing? And she's like, honey, I'm wearing my love dress for you. Do you like it? He said, it needs ironing. And, uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> oh, that's a joke you can only tell. That's exactly right. That joke is for the men's session only. And uh, anyway, Ephesians chapter 5, is verse number so, <laughs> The first time I actually heard that, I heard that from a couples conference speaker, and he did it in a mixed setting. And I thought, man, that's a lot of guts. I don't know that I could do that, but I, but I filed that one away, and I said, when I do sweat sessions, I'll use it. So anyway, uh, it's worth the joke. But Ephesians chapter 5, let's look together verse number 25. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord of the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Pastor touched on that last time. Nevertheless... Let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. And we're going to talk in this session about loving like Christ. And let's pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being here in Florida today with these men. Thank you for the fact that they're here at this marriage retreat, investing in their walk with you and in their marriage. And I pray that you richly bless them for that. Lord, I'm grateful that they would make the investment in their relationship and make the arrangements necessary to be here. Thank you for Pastor Keeley and uh, this church for hosting this event. And I pray that you bless their labor of love. Lord, I press you, uh, pray that you bless the ladies' session. And uh, Lord, what's happening there, that your will and way would be accomplished. And I pray today as men, as we talk for a few moments from your word, about loving like you, that we would have a greater understanding of what does that mean? And then that we would implement it in our lives that indeed we would love our bride as you love us. Lord, may they see you in us, and may they feel your love coming through us in affection to them. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to love like you and to lead our families forward, and we'll praise and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. In Ephesians chapter 5, four different times, husbands are commanded to love their wives. Now, we know in Ephesians 5.33, the Lord talks about wives reverencing their husband. Uh, We're talking about uh, wives submitting to their husband. There's some elements of Ephesians 5 husbands are familiar with and maybe we like preaching and teaching on. But there are four different distinct times in that chapter where husbands are commanded to love their wives. And we know that uh, when we think of great needs, a man has the need to be reverenced. Uh, A woman has a need to be loved. And that's our job. We are to love our wife. We said, I will uh, till death do us part. But sometimes we need to understand what does that mean or what does it look like? It's kind of like when we buy something that requires assembling. And some guys, we don't want to look at the instructions, right? We can figure it out. And then we get about 13 steps into it. We're like, you know what? I better go look at those instructions. I'm not sure that this is going together just as it should. And those instructions are great. You know, take A and attach to B and here's how to do it. It's like, okay, that's how this thing works. My son Joseph Uh, loves legos and you'll get some of those big sets and sometimes they're you know a couple thousand pieces and they're small and you gotta you gotta have direction how do these things go together if it's going to create that you know truck or whatever it is that's supposed to be uh, the product at the very end you need some step-by-step direction well if we're going to love our spouse as we should We need an example. We need a pattern. We need some instruction. And there's no greater pattern in the Word of God than the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to love our wife as the Lord loves us. And certainly He loves us with a selfless, uh, forever enduring love. And we want to have that for our spouse. So I want us this morning to study the love of Christ, and then implement those characteristics in our love for our spouse. And we're going to look at nine characteristics of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, in Scripture, I see that Christ's love is initiated first by Himself. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is initiated first by Himself. Look at 1 John chapter 4. The Bible says, "...and this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him." Verse 10, "...herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He died in my stead." Verse 11, "...beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to also love one another." Christ's love was initiated first by himself. In other words, God wasn't waiting to see will I love him or not to determine whether or not he will love me. God just came out of the gate declaring, I love you. His love was initiated from him. It was given to me first. Christ decided in his heart to love and therefore examined or or therefore exemplified that love in his relationship to us. Now, oftentimes in marriage, And with men, because nobody likes to feel rejected, right? Remember back to the dating years when it was trying to muster up the courage to ask her, will she date me? And then it was asking a buddy to ask the girl he knew to ask her, if I were to ask her, what would she say? (laughs) And what was all of that preparation for? Because we didn't want to be rejected. We kind of wanted to know what would the outcome be before we initiated the conversation. And sometimes that same protective spirit can enter into marriage where we know, okay, I'm to love my wife, I'm to love my bride, but there are times where I don't feel very loved by my bride, or I'm not sure what the response or what's going to be reciprocated. And so sometimes in marriage, instead of initiating love, it's kind of waiting to see where things are at. Where is she at? How is she treating me? How are things going? Am I going to love her or show her that I love her or not? And I want to encourage you this morning, men, to make the decision, I'm going to love my wife. Every day, I'm just going to make the decision to love her. I'm going to initiate that love. I'm going to communicate that love. I'm going to show her that love. And it's not going to be determined by whether or not she loves me. It's not going to be altered by how she responds to my love. In other words, okay, I'm going to make the decision to initiate love every day to show her my love, and then one day I do that, and she doesn't reciprocate it in the way that I feel she should. Maybe her response isn't what I thought it would be, or, 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 or uh, she's not coming back to me in a way that I thought uh, maybe she would after I've communicated that kind of love. And so if that happens, then I'm going to stop. no. Christ's love was initiated first by himself. It was a continual love. Christ loved us. Uh, That's where love began. And we want to decide every day to initiate love with our wife, not waiting for her, not being discouraged if it's not reciprocated, but just loving. And let me tell you this, love eventually will win. And I don't know every relationship and what's going on behind closed doors, but I'm just telling you, Love wins, and we want to make sure that we're initiating that love each and every day. And sometimes when you feel like there's tension in the relationship, and and maybe almost like your wife is just kind of throwing darts at you for whatever's going on, I want to encourage you in that moment to not run, (laughs) but to try to go into those darts and to show love. Real love is demonstrated in the midst of adversity. That's where you need to see, hey, love is needed here um, because how I respond to what's happening right now is going to greatly determine where this goes, right? Spiritually mature Christians can take big problems and make them small. Spiritually immature Christians take little problems and make them big, okay? So in the context of marriage, when tensions arise, the, the skit this morning about seven years and, you know, no, uh, no difficulty, which isn't true, right? Uh, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. I grew up in a pastor's home, I've been around church my entire life, and people would come through, you know, and bless God, we've been married 30 or 40 years, we've never had an argument, we've never had a disagreement, everything's been perfect, 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 and and you just kind of sat there and said, wow, you know, that's got to be some kind of a record or something, you know, then you find out the guy was like a missionary in some foreign soil, but his wife never went, she was here in America or something, you know, I mean, it was some uh, some crazy thing, and really, they weren't even telling the truth, every relationship has difficulty. Why? Because marriage is an imperfect man and an imperfect woman committed to be together for life. What are you going to have? An imperfect relationship. I know that my marriage is not perfect because I'm in it. I'm a part of the equation. It cannot be perfect. And there's going to be opportunities for growth in every relationship probably every day, right? And we need to be sensitive to that. And in that moment, it's important we communicate love. We're initiating love. First, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Secondly, we see that Christ's love is enduring. The Bible says in Psalms 118 "Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. And we want to love our wife for the long haul. We want to be committed to the relationship to continue to learn. Uh, Learning to love our wife is a process. Um, Every person in the room has a unique spouse and the person that you love and the person that you've married is a one of a kind, fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's someone you're going to have to learn and know, how do I love this person and continue to love that person over time. And sometimes it's hard to know maybe what to do or what to say and those kinds of things. It's a process. You just got to learn as you go. It's kind of like when a wife says, it's your decision. What she really means is the correct decision should be very obvious by now, all right? It's kind of like she says, do whatever you want. What she really means is, you're going to pay for this later, all right? Uh, When she says, I'll be ready in a minute, what she really means is, go find a good game on TV, right? We learned the five-minute thing the other night. When she says, you have to learn to communicate, what she means is, just agree with me. I know, what I'm, I know what I'm doing, right? And then we learned the other night when she says nothing, that means everything, right? Be careful when the word nothing is used. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 7, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We need to go to the school of marriage. Every one of us in this room have room for improvement. Every one of us in this room have something to learn. Um, Suzanne and I are passionate about our marriage today being better than it's ever been before. But that's not going to happen accidentally. It's not going to happen by osmosis, just because, okay, we celebrated 20 years of marriage in June, and we're moving on to the 21st, and we're going through life, and we share the same address, and we partner through the journey of life together and all that it includes with four kids and everything else. We're just naturally getting better. No, we're not. What in life naturally gets better? (laughs) Nothing, right? It's, it's all degenerating. What do we have to do? We have to invest in it. We have to work at it. And our marriage is certainly the same. And we want to love with a Christ-like love, a love that is enduring. And we want to be reminded of how much love can accomplish with that kind of love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, a beautiful description of love, charity. A synonym for love suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Fellows, we want to be committed to love our wife with a Christ-like enduring love. It's incredible what love can accomplish, but it's got to endure. We've got to be in it for the long haul. Soon after their last child went to college, a husband and wife uh, enjoying the empty nest phase, were in the living room and sitting on the couch, and she was leaning up to him, kind of had her head in his lap, and they were talking there, and reminiscing memories and and, uh, highlights of life. And he reached down, and he took her glasses off. And he said, you know, honey, as I look at your face without your glasses on, you look just like the beautiful young woman that I married. And she looked up at him and she said, you know, honey, with my glasses off, you still look pretty good too. (laughs) And uh, you know what? Uh, Life changes and uh, time uh, brings change, right? And we may not look the same and some things may not be the same, but we want to have an enduring love. And I want to take a moment here just to remind us according to scripture that when we said I do we said till death do us part the love that we're to have for our spouse is an enduring love the Bible says in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 9 what therefore God hath joined together let not man put asunder and men I just remind you according to scripture divorce is not an option quitting is not an option Well, it's just not going well. Well, it's just not like I thought. Well, I don't know if we can get through it. Quitting, divorce, throwing in the towel, that's not an option. What God had joined together, let not man put asunder. And there should be a commitment in our heart that says, hey... That's not even an option. We want to keep going forward for the Lord, and I want to love her with an enduring love. I want a love that's growing and that she knows is there for the length of time that God gives us together. A Christ-like love. Thirdly, Christ's love is verbalized. Is verbalized. Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, "'I have loved thee with an everlasting love. "'Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee.'" Now, do you remember back to the very first time that you said, I love you to your spouse? I don't know where in the relationship that occurred, but that was a big deal, communicating, I love you. Maybe the first time that she said, I love you back, or to you, or however that unfolded in your relationship. But saying the words, I love you, is so very important. Now, some in here, it might be more natural to communicate your love and affection to your wife. It's it's not hard for you to look her in the eye and say, sweetheart, I love you. You mean the world to me. For others, that is more awkward, and maybe you grew up in an environment where, you didn't hear that or you didn't see that exchange between a mom and a dad and it feels different to you and something you're working through. But I want to encourage you to communicate I love you to your spouse. Recent research was done about the power of those three words spoken in the context of a marriage relationship. And it was discovered that not only did the words I love you communicated the moment, the love that one had to the other, but it was also a reassurance of the commitment that that person had to their spouse. It was saying, hey, I love you. And the behavior by which I live is going to communicate I love you both in your presence and out of your presence. It was an affirmation of commitment and love one to the other. And we want to be good at consistently communicating we love our spouse. Let me tell you this. When we don't consistently communicate the love that we have for our spouse, it opens the door for Satan to exploit that and to sow seeds of doubt in the mind and heart of our spouse. The Bible reminds you and I Satan in John 10.10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What is Satan wanting to do? He's wanting to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What does Satan want to do? He wants to ruin your marriage. He doesn't want your marriage thriving. He doesn't want your marriage being a trophy of God's grace. He doesn't want you making it. Satan wants your marriage to end in destruction and to be another notch on his belt of ruined lives if you will. But we don't want that. We want to make sure that our marriage is strong and something as simple as saying I love you can help reassure our spouse of our love, of our commitment communicating it to her constantly, verbally, texting it to her, writing on a note, putting it on the mirror, whatever you have to do, communicate, communicate, communicate. You love her. Make sure she knows. By the way, take time to communicate to your spouse what you love about her. Be specific. Be authentic. Sometimes our wives will go through seasons of discouragement and they'll feel unlovable. And it's important that we communicate love, but it's important that we go beyond that and communicate what is it that we love. My wife and I were doing some premarital counseling last Saturday. A couple of us going to get married in October. <clears throat> and my wife asked him, she said, what do you love the most about her? And he said, the way she cooks. Boy, she cooks really good. <laughs> and, and Susanna told me later, she said, he has a lot to learn. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And she said, honey, he can go get good food from a lot of places. You know, It's good that she can cook, but he's going to need to look a little deeper into what does he love about her. And what was Susanna saying? Susanna was saying, I observe, I see that he's going to have to go a little deeper into why does he love her. And fellas, I just challenge you, go a little deeper in articulating why you love your spouse. Observe their life. Uh, Mind the characteristics that you admire and then communicate that. Man, I love the way that you walk with the Lord. I love the way you love me. I love the way that you uh, guide our children. I love the way that you serve. I love the way that you do this or that or whatever the case may be, some characteristic or attribute about their life. Communicate your love. Be specific, be authentic, but be consistent. Christ's love was verbalized. Number four, <clears throat> Christ's love is compassionate. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible says in Psalms 112 verse four, under the upright there rights of the light and the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Christ's love is a compassionate love. When we think about compassionate loving our spouse, I want to challenge us as men that the baseline of compassion is this, to care to care I'm amazed oftentimes in marriage counseling how many wives will tell me I just wish my husband cared. I just wish he cared. We get going into life, we get going into the routines, we get going into the business we get going through all those seasons it so much get chaotic there's a lot going on and I feel like he doesn't even care and it's imperative that you and I are loving with a Christ love Christ like love a compassionate love making a commitment to love her in the way that we should the bible says of june 22 and of some have compassion making a difference and you and I should be making a difference in the life of our wife by the way we care for her the compassion that we have we're communicating great care now stop and think for a minute Does your wife know that you care for her? Okay, here's some telltale signs. When your wife has a problem, does she come to you? If your wife knows you love her, that you care for her, that there's compassion there, you're going to be one of the first people, if not the first person she comes to with a problem. By the way, that's a great thing you want that. You want to develop that spirit in your home and in your marriage. You want to be the go-to person when something arises. Why? Because she knows you care. She knows you're there for her. Now, not every lady wants a problem solved the way that we would solve it, and sometimes it's listening. Sometimes it's it's praying with her about it. Sometimes it may not be taking the action that we would warrant if we were in that situation, but the important thing is to know that we care, communicating to her uh, that our care is there, that uh, she is God's gift to us, and we want to treat her that way—a compassionate love, a caring love. Now, I don't know if Pastor Keeley has taught it this way from the Bible, but perhaps you heard the story of right what happened before Eve was created, and Adam. <clears throat> excuse me, God went to Adam, and he was talking with Adam, and he said, "You know, Adam, I see what you're doing. You're caring for the garden. You're caring for all of the." animals and everything. You got a lot on you. And I think you need some help. And Adam said, absolutely, God, I do. I got a lot of responsibility. and I really could use some help. And God said, to Adam, well, what if I made a woman for you? She'd be perfect. She'd be beautiful. She'd rub your back at night and your feet in the morning. She'd plop grapes into your mouth. She'd prepare all your favorite meals without fail. She'd clean up the kitchen. She'd care for the children. She would take care of everything. You really wouldn't have to do anything. You'd just sit around and be the king of your castle, Adam said, wow, God, that sounds amazing, but almost too good to be true. What is that going to cost? And God said, well, it's a little expensive. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam thought for a minute. He said, well, then what can I get for a rip? And uh, now I want to tell you guys, we all have married way over our head, right? And uh, I have indeed, and I trust that you have as well. And when we think about the gift that God has given to us in our bride, we want to love her like Christ, a compassionate love, a love that is full of care. Number five, Christ's love is demonstrated by action. I love this about the, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. We know that. But because of that, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I love the truth found in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth. It means he proved his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> Christ had a love that was verbalized, yes. But Christ had a love not only that was verbalized, not only was compassionate, but it was backed up or it was proven by action. It was proven by action. It wasn't just in word only, it was indeed. God loved and He gave. Jesus loved and He literally gave His life, and we are to be constrained by that love. And in our marriage, it's important that there is love. It's important that there is love that is communicated, but it is important that there is love that is proven by the actions of our life. We need to show that we love. One fellow in the morning was down at the kitchen table and he was reading through the news and his wife walked in the room and she said, I bet you don't know what today is, do you? He said, of course I know what today is. And he went back to the news and in his mind he thought, oh boy, what was today? Now, this was kind of a forgetful husband. He often forgot special days and that wasn't good in this relationship because his wife was really big on special days, birthdays, those kinds of things were very special, um, big momentous uh, occasions for her. And so he thought for sure it's her birthday and sure enough, I forgot again. So he went to work, and he uh, thought about that, and he said, well, I'm going to do the best I can, so he called the florist and got a nice arrangement of flowers, had it delivered right away, and then at lunchtime, he went down to the jewelry shop and picked out a beautiful bracelet and had it special delivered to, to the house for her, and then got through his work day and on the way home, and he thought, you know, I just want to make sure I do this right, so he stopped by the uh, store on the way home and got a nice box of chocolates and was driving home and said, I just want to make sure I take care for this is a special day and I don't want to mess it up. And he pulled into the driveway and was gathering his things in the car and had that box of chocolates ready to give her. He opened his door to get out and she came running out of the house and he said, honey, I got these for you. And he gave her those box of chocolates and she wrapped her arms around him and she said, honey, thank you. This is the best Groundhog's Day I've ever had. (laughs) And, uh, now, we, we may not be good about remembering all of the special days, and we might need to set some reminders or have some calendar things or whatever, but I want to encourage you to communicate your love and action. Fellas, in America today, we have lost chivalry. Uh, growing up, I was taught things like, you know, if, if you're walking with your wife, make sure you're walking next to the curb, right? You want to protect her, right, when the car's going by Uh, I, you know, open her door for her, you know, take care of her in this way. Uh, I remember hearing a pastor one time saying, I always try to gas up my wife's car for her. I just don't want her to have to do that. I thought, that's a great idea. And I can't say it every single time. There are times where uh, it needs to be done and I'm not there. But I would say probably nine out of ten times I gas up Susanna's car and take care of that for her. I remember when I was in junior in high school, I worked for a company, Willard Fence Company. And uh, as a young kid, my job was just to dig the holes. And as I got a little older and, and in high school, I started welding and building fence and doing lots of things. I really enjoyed it. And the man that owned it, his name was Kirk Willard. And one of the jobs every Friday at the end of the work week was to clean the truck. And you'd have to get in the back of the truck, and you're unloading all the rock and sand and cement. You're unloading the post and the chain link. You're unloading the tools. You're cleaning all of that out. And then you'd get the buckets and the soap, and you'd start washing it. And I remember Kirk would always, every Friday, say, Now, fellas, when you clean the passenger side of this truck, remember, my wife's going to get in that truck on Sunday in her Sunday dress, and I don't want it dirty. If I heard that once, I heard it a thousand times. And we knew on Friday when it was time to clean the work truck, you get that passenger side and the, the, uh, the corridor into the door and out. Make sure it's clean because she's going to be getting in there in a Sunday dress on Sunday. And he wanted her to make sure it was ready for her. That had an impression on me as a junior high kid. I never forgot it. And I thought, you know, that's a great love. Here's a husband thinking about his wife, wanting to show love, wanting to make sure she's cared for, wanting to make sure that it's not dirty so that she can get in for church on Sunday. If we had to put your love on trial and we had to present a case for the love that you have for your wife, and your attorney sat down with you and said, Okay, we've got a case to prove here and we need some evidence. Tell me, what's the evidence? What would the evidence be? And just stop and think about that. Today's the 11th. Maybe the last 11 days. What's the evidence? What actions have there been that communicate love? If you and your wife have never taken the, uh, uh, the uh, love gift or the uh, love test, love language test, that's a great test to take. Uh, what communicates love to her? And Gary Chapman's book on the five love languages and knowing what that is and how you can communicate love. The Bible says in John 13, 35 By this shall all men know the ear of my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. And I encourage you to make sure there's a love in my heart that is proven by action. Um, Yes, it's verbalized. Yes, it's real in here, but it's real in the way that I live. It's real in the way that I treat her. It's real in the way that I care for her. It's an action-filled love. That's a Christ-like love. Christ did not just say, I love you. He proved it on the cross. We want to communicate love, but we want to prove it in the way that we live. We want to make sure that we're loving her in that way. Number six, Christ's love does what is best for us. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. The Lord loves us in a way that is best for us, and we want to love our wife in a way that is best for her. A young man was uh, newly married and wanting to provide everything that he could for his young bride, and so he began to just put a lot of time in at work. In fact, in a three-week stretch, he put in over 50 hours of overtime on top of his regular time he got home from work one night in that stretch it was past midnight and it was late and he knew it and he tried to quietly get into the house and and uh, get ready for bed and then as best he could he crawled into that bed as as stealthily as possible trying not to uh, waken his wife and and just slip in and get a few hours of rest and and as he did that sure enough she turned over and she turned over just long enough to say honey you've got to learn to alphabetize and then she went right back over and went to bed And he lay there and he didn't want to bother or wake her or have a discussion at that hour of the night. But he thought, what in the world is she talking about? He said, honey, I'm so sorry. What do you mean i got to learn to alphabetize? And without skipping a beat, she said, wife comes before work and you need to learn that. And and she was communicating to him, honey, uh, I need to know that I matter to you. And he was learning a lesson of putting his relationship with his wife ahead of other things. We learned about legitimate jealousy yesterday. But a Christ-like love is a love that loves in a way that is best for us. We learned yesterday in Genesis 2 and other places in Scripture that the relationship with our wife is to be the highest party in our life, second to only to our relationship with God. And it's important that we recognize that and that we're providing that. But when I think about loving our wife in a way that is best for them and just in the things that I see in the ministry that I do, you know what wives are desperate for today? Leadership. Leadership. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, and we always love it when pastor preaches on it, right? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And maybe you're praying, you know, I hope Gabe touches on that one while we're here, right? But, you know, in the direct command for wives to submit to the husband, there is an indirect command for the husband to lead. You know, from the ministry that I do, The problem that I find more prevalent is not a wife who is unwilling to submit. It's men who don't lead. I often find in homes that wives would love to submit to some leadership in the home, but there is no leadership. Um, And and maybe in some cases, there's no spiritual leadership. The, The spiritual... Uh, direction of the home is often set by the wife not that she wants that because if she feels like if she does it there won't be any at all and I might be teaching the choir right now I don't know but I want to encourage you men to lead spiritually I'm thankful I grew up in a home where the question was never asked are we going to church never one time Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, missions conference, marriage retreats, uh, revivals, whatever the case may be. If the church doors were open, we were there. It was never a discussion. It was never a question. It was just what we did. And we did that because Daddy led the way. Daddy took us to church. Um, I'm grateful I grew up in a home where every morning we sat around the breakfast table and Daddy would say, okay, get your Bibles. And if it were today, he'd say, go to Proverbs chapter 11, the chapter that went with the date of the day. And we'd read through Proverbs 11. Everybody would read a verse. When I was a little kid, we did uh, devotion times. And my dad would open the Bible and he would teach us the stories of the Bible. Um, my daddy took me soul winning. Uh, my dad took me out on a bus route to visit needy families and to encourage children to come to church. And moms and dads to know about the Lord. Um, I'm thankful that I had the privilege of growing up in a home where there was a spiritual leader, and that spiritual leader was my father. And I challenge us as men to lead spiritually, uh, to lead our home, uh, to lead relationally. Uh, we understand at a conference like this, we're going to hear things about prioritizing and pursuing and so on. Fellas, you know that everything we've heard, they've heard, Right? And the question may be in their minds and hearts, what's going to change as a result of what we've heard? It may be that everything we've heard so far you're doing, and praise God for that. It may be there's some things that we've heard that we need to push a reset button, or we need to do again, or we need to start doing. But whatever that may be, I want to encourage you to lead in that area. Well, I've learned something. I'm not doing that. I need to make an adjustment. I need to implement it, and I need to live it out. We need to Lead in our relationships. It's a felt need of our spouse. A Christ like love does what is best for us. Number seven, Christ's love is self sacrificial. John 10 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, what does God expect from us? Nothing. He loves with the expectation of nothing. The Bible word for love, agape, He gave Himself for us. Now, we want to be able to give ourselves for our spouse. And we might say, well, i die for my spouse. She wants to know when you take out the garbage, right? I mean, she just wants to know, are you willing to do your part? And we want to love with a self-sacrificial love. And that's going to require us to stop worrying so much about us and worry about her, to put her needs ahead of our own to self-sacrifice for ourself and to think of her. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 28, So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord of the church. Jesus said, hey, I'm telling you how I want you to love. Love her the way you love you. Because you love yourself, you take care of yourself. So the Lord is teaching, then put her ahead of you in that position And the way that you would care for you, make sure you care for her first. It's a self-sacrificial love. And sometimes we let the smallest things be a stumbling block to that. And the love that we should have isn't there. I read the story about uh, Diana. True story. She was arrested and taken before a municipal court judge in her hometown. And she was arrested because she had attacked her husband. As they unfolded the story, they found that her husband Oliver was a horrible neat freak. He was constantly driving her crazy about the way things should be and the way the house should be and the way everything should be in its place and so on, just to an nth degree. They were sitting down for dinner one evening to enjoy some time together and they started arguing about the way that the table was set, the plate, the utensils, and these kinds of things and finally she had enough. She went down to the local uh, uh, equipment rental place and she rented a forklift. She drove the forklift back to their home through the front wall of their dining room. She took the forklift and she smashed the dining room table down to the ground. True story. The neighbors said Diane looked wild-eyed and all, she could, all they could hear Diane saying was, Fork this, fork this, and they looked in the house, and she was driving the forklift through the house, and Oliver, her husband, was hiding behind the kitchen counter for dear life. They later asked Diane what led to this, and she said, Well, Oliver was yelling at me about where I put his fork, so I thought I would fix it with a forklift. Now, that's a true story, by the way. And the moral of that story is never marry a woman who can operate heavy machinery, right? Be careful. Uh, Be careful about that, right? But in all seriousness, it's a reminder that we need to focus on her needs. And and sometimes, guys, and I don't know what it is. Everybody has kind of their pet peeve. Everybody has this or that. We need to step back and say, you know what? That's not as important. (laughs) What is important is that I'm loving her. And Christ hit the nail on the head when he said, you take care of yourself. Love her in that way. You nourish yourself. You cherish yourself. Love her in that way. Be self-sacrificial. When you got married, life uh, ceased being about you. By the way, when I became a Christian, life ceased being about me. became about him. Right? If I'm a true Christ follower, life is not about me. It's about him. Let your light so shine. Why, Gabe? So they can see how amazing you are? Nope. So that they can see your good, for good works. Why? So they can see what you do? Nope. So they can glorify your Father which is in heaven. A Christ follower is, is reflecting Christ and all the praise to Christ. And a Christ follower in marriage is not about my needs being met or how am I doing. It's about how am I doing and meeting the needs of my spouse. Am I loving with a self-sacrificial love? Number eight, Christ's love involves treasuring us even though we are not worthy. What does loving like Christ mean? It means treasuring, even though we are not worthy. I love the story of the prodigal son in Luke fifteen. The Bible says and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him, and the son said unto the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry for this this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Boy, the father of the prodigal could have had a lot of reactions, right? The young man was told to work. He said, no, give me my inheritance. He ruined it in riotous living. He was slopping uh, uh, food with the hogs and came to his right mind and said, ma'am, the servants of my dad have it better than this. I'm going to go back. And as he came back, his father could have felt shame, for the disrespect he brought in the family's name. His father could have felt anger for the way that he wasted the substance of his inheritance. His father could have disowned him for the uh, bad name that he had given the family. Lots of things could happen. But as we read the story of the prodigal son, we know the father, when he sees him, runs and greets him with that hug and welcomes him back. And what a beautiful picture of God's love, right? That no matter where we are, what we've done, where we've been, when we turn to God, he's there with open arms to bring us back and say, welcome home. And what a beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful picture of God and his love. But what a challenge to us to love our bride with a love that treasures them. It's not about what they are, or who they are, or what they've earned. It's just treasuring them because they're God's gift to us. The way the prodigal felt, the father felt about the prodigal, is the way that you and I need to love our wife, irrespective of what's happened, irrespective of what we've been through. There just needs to be a love that is treasuring them. I read an amazing story a few years back about a lady named Ann Hell. She was viciously attacked by a 122-pound mountain lion. Ann was a mountain biker, loved doing it. In fact, in San Diego, near where I live, she was on a trail with a friend, Debbie. They were coming down uh, the mountains on the bikes and so on, and they came through an area there with some high brush and just kind of making their way down a trail and out of nowhere, and in just a moment's time, this 122-pound mountain lion lunged for Ann, knocking her off the bike, Debbie behind, watching the entire thing. The mountain lion circled back around as Ann fell to the ground and grabbed her by the face and literally was dragging her up into the mountain to eat her. Debbie brought her bike to a screeching halt and jumped off and went and grabbed Ann's legs. And literally her and that mountain lion were in a tug of war for Ann's life. Eventually, Debbie was able to pry her friend Ann from the jaws of that mountain lion. It would later be discovered that day that same mountain lion had killed a man earlier on the same trail. Ann's entire side of her face had been removed by the mountain lion, literally just hanging by a flap of skin. She was rushed to the hospital, and she had over 40 bite marks and wounds that would take over 200 stitches and staples to put her face back together. Her husband was asked, what did you think the first time you saw her? And he said, I just thank God she was alive. Now, Ann was a natural beauty, blonde hair and blue eyes. It took six plastic surgeries to reconstruct her face. She was asked, how did you feel the first time you looked in the mirror? She answered, truthfully, I was horrified. For weeks, I was completely bandaged. Then when they removed the bandages, I couldn't even look. My husband would tell me daily that I was beautiful, and he would pray and read scripture with me. And as the days and weeks went by, I began to believe him. And finally, I had the courage to look for myself, and it was shocking. I felt shame. But my husband was not here of it. He kept telling me that he didn't marry my face. He married me. Her husband was later asked in an interview about the situation. He said, you know, we're Christians. and We believe that it's what's on the inside that matters. Though through Christ, we're made new, clean, and beautiful. He said, she's not the woman I married. She's better and she's stronger. Now, that's a Christ-like love treasuring someone, irrespective of what's happening, irrespective of what we're going through. Christ loves us despite who we are and we want to love like Christ, choosing rather not to focus on our wife's weaknesses or shortcomings but to treasure her for the treasure that she is. She's God's gift to you and how you treasure her, treat her, and love her is your gift back to the Lord. We want to love with a Christ-like love, treasuring even though we are not worthy. Number nine and lastly is we're out of time. Christ's love is not based on performance. The Bible says in 103.10, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. In John 13, a new commandment, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Christ's love is not based upon performance. We didn't wake up this morning with a list of things we have to do in order to to earn the love of Christ. We woke up this morning being loved by Christ. There was no earning it. There's no list. In fact, there's nothing you and I can do to do today to be more loved by Christ. We are loved by Christ. End of story, period. We positionally are in Him in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way it should be in marriage. Our wife should wake up every day loved by us no matter what. There's not a list. There's not a criteria. There's not a hidden agenda. Men, we're never going to gain respect by demanding it. A Christ-like love not based upon performance is a love that understands that kind of love gives. It's servant-hearted. It's recognizing the needs of our spouse and knowing them and meeting them and exceeding them. Our wife should never feel like she has to earn our love. It should be evident every single day that it is freely given. Just as Jesus Christ freely gave his love, so should we every single day. A Christ-like love, not based on performance. I don't know about you, the challenge to love our wife as Christ is a very high bar. And sometimes we can maybe skim through that in the scripture and say, well, I'm trying. But when you dig into the love of Christ, it's quite convicting. And I hope that you and I as men will take time to look at these characteristics and we could have listed many more for sure. You might come up with others. But as we look at it and say, Lord, help me to love like you. I want her to feel a Christ-like love. And I pray that something in this session shared will resonate with you in your heart and say, okay, that's an area I want to focus on. That's an area I can make an adjustment. That's an area I can show love in a greater way from this day forward from something I've learned. Heavenly Father, we love you. I thank you, Lord, for time together with these men, again, for their willingness to be here, to invest in their relationship with you and their spouse. I pray that you richly bless them for that. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand our spouse is your gift to us. So may we cherish our bride. May we love her as you love us. And I pray that our wives would see in us a Christ like love. Lord, may it be pleasing to you. May it strengthen the marriages and families in this room and, as a result, strengthen the church and help to reach a community with the gospel. And we'll praise and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, can, you, can you just give these answers real quick to the guys? Yeah, let me, let me do this real quick, and I, I skipped that for sake of time, uh, but let me give it to you real fast. I'm and this is this is kind of, I'll give you the context, and I'll give it to you real quick. So what happens when you feel like, okay, I'm doing all of this, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can or that I know how in a Christ-like love, and we're still not going forward, I feel as though there's opposition from my wife to me, even in the midst of trying to give Christ like love. Here's a couple thoughts. Number one, how can a husband love his wife who's treating him like an enemy? Number one, by confessing and repenting of personal sin. Sometimes when we're hitting a roadblock in a relationship, we have determined and convinced in our mind the problem is them. And sometimes we need to be willing to first examine ourselves. Because sometimes what we'll find is there's something in us that really is the hindrance to the whole thing. And we need to deal with that. So take the time to do that. Number two, and I'm skipping everything underneath. Number two, by doing good to her. Sometimes when we feel like I'm giving a Christ-like love and it's not being reciprocated, then, okay, forget it. (laughs) I tried. This is what I'm getting. I knew this was going to happen. So I'm just going to go back to not caring or not trying because what does it matter, right? And you've got to fight against that tendency. And at that moment, say, no. I am not doing that. That's a fleshly response. Spiritful response is to do good to them that despitefully use you or hate you. Number three, by returning a blessing instead of evil for evil. I'm not really even interested in what an evil in your marriage looks like. I don't know that it's profitable for us to talk about it. But however you define that, okay, in your mind, when your spouse does something to you that you're like, what in the world? And your flesh then says, okay, then I want to retaliate. My challenge and encouragement to you is don't. Stop. Give a blessing. The Bible says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. If you're having a conversation with your wife and it's just getting more heated, stop. Because you're not doing it right. Right? A soft answer. Return a blessing. Now, none of us feel like that in our flesh. But that's the Christ-like response. Number four, by lovingly confronting her sin after you have dealt with your own. Now, if you've been giving a Christ-like love, you've confessed your own sin, you're giving a blessing, you're doing those things, and it's just not there, then you need to confront that. Sweetheart, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm trying to respond the way that I should, and this is still happening. Help me understand this. Why is this happening? You know, uh, there's, there's a disconnect here from what I'm expecting and what's happening. So help me to understand. Teach me. And I want to learn. Confront it lovingly. Number five, by praying for her. By praying for her. The Bible talks about pray for them which is use you and persecute you. And it's important in a moment like that where it feels like we do not have an answer uh, to know that God always does. And we can pray and He can give us that insight as we go forward. So, you know, guys,